I tried literally everything that I could think of short of going to a meeting to, to remedy the situation. Welcome to The Recovery Show. This episode is sponsored by Kelly and Mark. Thank you for your support. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Today, we're going to talk about forcing solutions. Have you ever not known what to do but did something anyway? Were things not working out your way, so you tried to change the outcome? Well, we'll talk about those. Before we begin, we would like to state that though we may be in a 12-step program, we represent ourselves rather than the program. During this show, we will share our own experiences as they relate to the topic of forcing solutions. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. My name is Spencer, and I will be your host today. Joining me is co-host Kelly. How are you doing today, Kelly? I'm doing great, Spencer. Thanks. And next to me is co-host Swetha. How are you today, Swetha? Great. Thanks, Spencer. The first segment of today's episode of The Recovery Show will be our discussion of the topic, Forcing Solutions. Following a musical break, we will talk about our lives in recovery, about what's happening in the meetings we attend and in our lives. We will follow that with brief news about the podcast before closing with another musical break. I want to start with a reading. This is from our book, Courage to Change. It's on page 37. By the time I reached Al-Anon, I was desperate to do something about my relationship with an alcoholic. I hoped you would tell me to throw the bum out, so I was dismayed when a member suggested that I make no major changes for six months after coming to Al-Anon. By the end of the six months, my thinking had changed dramatically, and I was grateful to have waited. At that point, something inside me told me to continue to wait to learn to recover before deciding about this relationship. But I hate to wait. I struggled, prayed for guidance, weighed the pros and cons. The answer was always the same. Wait, do nothing yet. The time will come. That wasn't the answer I was looking for. So I ignored it. I forced a solution and walked out. I was immediately consumed with guilt and self-doubt. Had I made the worst mistake of my life? I still loved this person so much, and though I was deeply troubled, I wasn't convinced that leaving was the answer. I had to admit that I had acted prematurely. Only with more time was I eventually able to come to a decision that I knew I could live with. And the uh, reminder is when my thinking becomes distorted by trying to force solutions, I probably won't get the results I seek. As the saying goes, when in doubt, don't. As I said, my name is Spencer, and we're going to start out by uh, reflecting on some times when we tried to force solutions. Swetha. The last time I was trying to force a solution, I was not too long ago, um, and it was uh, a loved one of mine was judging certain behavior that I was engaging in, um, and I didn't think that that it was an it was inappropriate behavior, but I, I did feel really criticized and. The next thing I know, my mind went to, well, if this person's judging me over this, then, then they, they won't love me. I, I won't, uh, I was scared, I think. Uh, that's usually my response when something is happening that I'm uncomfortable with is, is fear. I'm scared that I'm not going to be loved or I'm scared that I'm not going to be, um, that I'm not, that I'm going to be alone, I think. And so immediately I was, I wanted a solution. I wanted a resolution. Either this person was going to agree to me or I was going to agree to them. I either had to stop that behavior or I had to continue it and just never speak to this person again. Just very drastic, dramatic solutions um, to this issue of 
this one circumstance that we disagreed over, not that we don't disagree plenty, <laughs> but um, in this situation, it just seemed like if this person doesn't agree with me on this particular thing, I will be alone. And I wanted to know right then and there, am I going to be alone? Is this person going to stop speaking to me? Um, and we argued for, as I recall, several hours <laughs> and then <laughs> took a break to sleep and then woke up and argued some more. <laughs> and uh and finally, we both just got exhausted. And um, I think all the arguing was both of us trying to force solutions on each other. And um, thank God that that's how it went down instead of this person just agreeing to me or me just agreeing to this person uh, because we eventually had to take a break. We just, we'd just we gone over the same script several times, as you can imagine, in a course of several hours and two days. And I ended up calling my sponsor and... Um, I think I, at that point, realized that I don't have to have a solution right then and there. It's not something that is incredibly pertinent at that moment. And it's okay to disagree. But uh, I think that for me, disagreeing or something not being just perfect, like mm. like just now I saw a hair that I that I on my right below my microphone, <laughs> and I was like, it's it's I have to fix this right. <laughs> Now I have to because anything wrong, anything incorrect or anything out of place in my mind is I'm, I'm really scared of, I think, on just a very basic level. I'm afraid that it'll draw attention to the unwanted things. And it's been my experience growing up that anything undesirable needs to be hidden. If not fixed, it needs to be hidden straight away. And so that's, that's kind of my experience with, for, with well, one of my numerous decades of experiences <laughs> of forcing solutions and it doesn't make me feel good I think I think what I want is security I want certainty I want consistency and certainty because that's what I feel is safe and that's but it it doesn't feel good even if I have that certainty I think in the past I would have just um for example one time I had an ex-boyfriend that he disagreed with me on something, and at the end of the at the end of it, I was just like, "Screw this! I'm out. I I can't deal with this. He might break up with me, and this is a terrible thing to fight over. And I don't want to fight over it anymore. And I'm I'm just I need certainty. I needed a, a solution, and that solution came to me as I'm ending this relationship. That was it. I just needed that certainty, but it didn't necessarily feel good. It felt certain, and that I took comfort in. But it didn't feel good. I felt rushed. I f kept looking back on it and thinking, did I do the right thing? Did I do the right thing? Kind of like in the reading. I think I did <laughs> do the right thing um, because I, I trust my higher power. And uh, I think what happened, it happened for a reason. But nowadays, I don't, I don't think I need to force solutions as much anymore. I'm a little bit more comfortable in my own skin. Yeah. Kelly, how about you? I was thinking back, uh, Spencer mentioned, I kind of had to dig a little bit deeper to uh, find a good example for forcing a solution. Because I feel like uh, probably on a daily basis, at this point in my life, I think about forcing solutions. <laughs> I'm just a little bit better at not acting on those thoughts, <laughs> which is good. That's progress. But it's so funny because actually, I just wanted to backtrack for a second. When Spencer was reading the opening and I'm looking at the copy of the script and the subject of forcing solutions is highlighted. And it, it, it instantly brings about this feeling of like gritted teeth <laughs> and just like frustrated anger. I, it's really, it has like, I have like a, a physical reaction to seeing those words on the page. It's really interesting <laughs> to me. What I thought of, Swetha, as you were talking, you mentioned the idea of 
perfection, wanting things to be perfect and everything in its place. And that was what really struck me. And so I was remembering a time um, when someone that I really care about who had been in the program for a, a really long time had sort of backslid a little bit and stopped going to meetings. And so they went through this dry drunk phase and it was really, um, it was an, an eye-opening experience for me because I hadn't known this person while they were drinking. I'd only known them in sobriety. And so I was seeing this attitude of the disease and the effects of alcoholism without the alcohol being present. So there was really just a lot of angry outbursts and erratic behavior and violent mood swings and I try to force a lot of solutions in that situation. Um, I think I, I, if I had had a tablet at that point, I would have had a really long list of ideas going in it of what I could do to fix the situation. Um, I really just, I couldn't handle that feeling that things weren't okay, that things weren't perfect, that the situation wasn't good and didn't feel good. And so I tried literally everything that I could think of, um, short of going to a meeting, uh, to, to remedy the situation. And, um, I mean, I don't think we have time on the podcast for me to list it, list all of the things <laughs> that, I, that I tried to do, but I definitely, <laughs> I definitely asserted my will. I mean, I, I tried to, um, I try, I tried to switch my mood. I tried to be extra nice to them. I tried to go out of my way to do extra things for them. I tried to light, lighten their workload by helping them out with, um, work. And I know, Swetha, I know you can relate to me on that with the, um, resume. Oh, thing. yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, literally everything. I cleaned the house. I made them meals. I left them alone. I, I mean, if one thing, and, and I, I obviously had a lot of black and white thinking at that time too, because if I tried something and it didn't work, I would go to like the full opposite end of the spectrum. Like mm. I'm going to be around all the time and see if that works. Nope, that doesn't work. Okay. I'm going to be gone all the time and see if that works. Okay. No, that doesn't work. So <clears throat> yeah, it was a really, um, it was, uh, I mean, all I can think of as an analogy is just banging your head against the wall. I mean, I, <laughs> it was totally fruitless. So um, how did that action make me feel? Um, <laughs> wow. Uh, exhausted, frustrated, angry, uh, disappointed in myself, um, guilty, um, and I think I just felt, I mean, I can, the only word that, that I can think of right now is stupid. And that's not really the word that I'm, that I'm grasping for, but I just felt helpless, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. You know, that, um, I really like to think of myself as a fairly, you know, average intelligence. And I, I really just thought like there must, there must be something that I can do to fix the situation, to make this person feel better. And nothing was working. And so it really was a true feeling of hopelessness. So, Spencer? You know, what I just heard you say, I heard you say, make this person feel better. <laughs> that, to me, is a, a definition of a solution that can't be forced. Yeah. Um, 
course, doesn't mean we don't try, does it? I know that now. Yeah, we know (laughs) that now, exactly, yeah. Um, And I'm I'm sure that I have done it. um, I've done it a lot of times, I'm sure, because um, when I was really actively codependent without understanding that I was codependent, and I felt that my feelings depended on the feelings of the people around me, you know, I spent a lot of time trying to, you know, make people happy so that I could be happy, right? And, yeah, that didn't work too well. Um, You know, I was thinking as we were talking about um, what are some of the ways or what are some of the meanings of forcing solutions, some of the ways in which we um, find ourselves trying to force solutions, and I wrote down some things here. And and I think you guys have, have mentioned most of these, but there's this feeling of wanting to do something. I'm in a situation that is uncomfortable. Something is is not the way I want it to be. Mm-hmm. I don't know how to fix it. I don't know how to make myself more comfortable. I don't know um, maybe what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to do something because doing something, uh, you know, the way that the way that I think the way that our society really um, you know teaches us that if something's wrong, you do something about it, and you know, the, it captured in the phrase, don't just stand there, do something. Mm-hmm. And so when, when we get there, we're like, ah, I got to do something. I don't know. I'll try this. You know, it's sort of, sort of where you were, um, except, you know, in a more serious, I, I, I don't know. Um, or sometimes we want to maybe achieve a certain outcome and things are not going in the direction we want them to go. So we try to, you know, change the direction. We try to force things to come to where we think we want them to be. And uh, um, the other, uh, well, it's sort of underneath the, the first one I wrote down, not comfortable with uncertainty. Uh, it's, it's uncomfortable to be sitting there and, and not knowing what to do. And, uh, um, you know, when Swetha was talking uh, about arguing and arguing and arguing, um, I realized that that sort of restating, that it's not really argument. Mm. It's, it's, it's. I'm reminded of the Monty Python skit about, you know, that's an argument. It's contradiction. No, it's not. Yes, it is. No, it's not. Um, and, wow, that's remarkably similar to exactly and, how our conversation went. <laughs> exactly. And, and so this sort of argument as trying to force a solution mm-hmm. that is totally unsuccessful because nobody moves. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's not really argument. It's just restating your position over and over again. <laughs> right. Um, Maybe in different words, you know. If I just say this just the right way, then they'll understand. Right. Let me let me try a slightly different wording here. Let me try <laughs> coming at it from a slightly different direction. But um, and so, yeah, it and it doesn't work. No. Um, and it particularly, um, in my experience, at least, doesn't work when you're dealing with somebody who is actively engaging with their drug of choice. Um, particularly, doesn't work. Uh, and. Uh, I like to point out, by the way, sometimes a drug of choice is control because <laughs> I have those oh. conversations mm. with my mom all the time. Absolutely, mm-hmm. absolutely. Um, yeah, in fact, my, my sponsor, um, I was re- recounting something that happened uh, in a situation to my sponsor, and, and he looked at me and he said, oh, so you reached for your drug of choice, control. Mm. <laughs> I was like, oh, man, you're right. <laughs> Darn it. <sighs> Sponsors. <laughs> Amen, Spencer. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Um, and, and I was thinking about, about some of the ways that, that, that I try to force solutions and, you know, argument was one of them, certainly. Um, another one, and, uh, this is a story that, uh, happened some years ago, um, when my loved one was still drinking and we were traveling and when, um, we were actually, we were visiting my parents and, um, it was a little more difficult to, uh, to get alcohol, uh, at their, um, where they, where they, their summer place, you have to, you know, drive into town and the store is open, um, only certain hours and you can't just, you know, run down to the, the Kroger on the corner and, and get some like you can at home. And there came a day and, you know, I was still in the role of trying to control, um, her drinking. This was actually before I came into the program. And there came a day when, you know, we just didn't manage to make that trip into town. Just, didn't happen. Okay. This is my passive aggressive uh, thing coming on here. Like, <laughs> you know, it's just like, well, if we don't go to town, we won't, you know, we won't buy the wine and then, you know, she won't be able to drink it and, and, you know, and then she won't be drunk and that'll be good. <laughs> um, in theory, in theory it came about 10 o'clock in the evening and it became very clear that, you know, her body needed some alcohol. So I drove into town and all I could find was like wine cooler, which, well, you know, people have their preferences and that was, you know, that was not her preference. Um, it helped a little bit. Um, we got sleep the next day. We were going to drive like three or 400 miles and it was not good. I'll just say it was not good. Um, she was not able to eat. Um, every time she tried to eat, um, then she had to make a visit to the bathroom and, It took, it took like a day, um, to, for her system to get back in, in, into normal. And, you know, I, I didn't understand alcohol withdrawal, obviously. I didn't understand the severity of it, uh, and, and how powerful it was. And, but I was just trying to force, you know, not drinking. And it really, really did not work. It did not work very well at all. I think I, I'd like to say that I, I never tried to do that again. And it might be true. <laughs> um, but who knows what we do. And, and I can't remember every instant of the insanity that was my life with <laughs> drinking before the program. Um, but the, this passive aggressive manipulation is definitely um, one of the ways that, mm. that, uh, that I try to force solutions because I, I'm not a real confrontational person. I don't like confrontation. Um, so if I can just sort of manipulate you into doing what I want, that's that's a lot, you know, a lot easier for me, a lot more comfortable for me uh, in the short term, anyway. Um, and I, I know I had another example in my head of of doing that more recently um, in a more benign situation, and it'll come back to me, I'm sure, after I stop talking. Uh, <laughs> But the the um, uh, another uh, case, and I think when Kelly, when you were talking, um, where I still have to stomp on my impulse to um, make things come out a certain way is when I feel that my loved one is not attending maybe as many meetings as I think she should be mm. um, for whatever reason, and <laughs> and I, I you know I'm like oh man she didn't go to that meeting. Uh. You know, and, and, you know, there's a little bit of fear under that, obviously. Uh, and I know it's, it's, it's not my program. It's her program. Um, I know she has a lot of supports and she uses them, but 
when I see her, oh, I'm just going to stay home instead of going to the meeting tonight, it, it tweaks me a little. And, and there have been a couple times recently when, you know, I've said something like, so, you, you know, you're going to go to the meeting tonight or whatever. Uh, and I think once I said, I actually said, have you gone to any meetings lately? I'm like, and, and as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, oh, man. Um, <laughs> I need to go to a meeting. <laughs> and, and, you know, and that's part of the difference now that when, you know, you said, Kelly, you said you didn't see going to meeting as a solution mm. because, I mean, it's not a solution to the immediate problem, right. but it's a solution to sort of the underlying dis-ease that may be inflaming the problem and is definitely driving this need to find a solution. And so, you know, it is a solution, it's a, it, but it's a solution in a different way. It's a solution in the sort of Alan on judo <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, or Aikido or something, you know, <laughs> you just kind of, you take that momentum and just shift it in a different direction and, and it, and then it, then it helps. It's a productive solution. It's a productive solution. <laughs> yeah, but it's not a solution to the, the, the problem, you know? Mm. Um, it's not a Band-Aid, Spencer. It's not a Band-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Do you guys have uh, other thoughts on, you know, what does it mean to be forcing solutions? I Actually, while you were talking, Spencer, I was remembering, I saw this on Facebook the other day. Um, there was this, like, quote. It said, I never make the same mistake twice. I make it five or six times just for good measure. <laughs> I was like, yeah, yeah, I'm trying to cut down to five or six, but uh, <laughs> progress, not perfection. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I I, just wanted to point that out, and I forgot what the other thing I was going to say was. <laughs> Kelly, you want to take it, and I'll come back. I'm sure it'll come back once I start talking. Um, I, I definitely agree with you, Spencer. I avoid confrontation at all costs. So, when Swetha, when you were talking about arguing, I mean, that's very foreign concept to me. <laughs> Rarely do I bring up something to the point of an argument. So I sort of use the same method, Spencer. I mean, I, I had, um, I just try to, yeah, use manipulation, change my behavior, um, change my actions in a, in a sort of passive aggressive way to elicit some sort of outcome. And, I really don't think, I mean, I think maybe it worked 0.5% of the time. So I'm not sure why I kept going back to that <laughs> because the success rate is really low. <laughs> but I don't know, maybe there was some sort of uh, satisfaction there. Um, just got to try it for good measure. Yeah, exactly. I mean, maybe it was just, I, I was holding on to some hope that <laughs> this is going to be the time. It's going to work. 737 times the charm. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so... Wow, that that I was a long time ago. I I heard this person talking about um, why why we gamble, why we why we do that sort of thing. You know, we try thing and well, it didn't work, but maybe it'll work next time. Mm -hmm. Why do we continue to have that hope that maybe it'll work next time? And his hypothesis is that this comes from basically being a hunter. That oh. when you're a hunter, oh. a lot of the time you don't succeed. Mm -hmm. in, in catching the prey, whatever it might be. And that this sort of periodic, unpredictable reward 
reinforces the behavior. If you get rewarded every time you do something, you're actually less likely to continue doing it than if if you only get rewarded sometimes. Wow. Um, and I think he was also talking about this in regards to like training a dog or something. You know, if you don't always give the reward, the dog is actually more eager right. um, to do uh-huh. what you want them to do. Once you get, you know, the idea of what they want it to do into them. But uh, <laughs> I just saw and, a light bulb go off over his <laughs> yeah, head. Know, like, thinking about her dog. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so, you know, it does make sense. Why do, be, why, why do we come back to these things? Well, we come back to these things because it worked once. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that superstition like, well, when I, you know, held my tongue in, the, in my cheek in a certain way and, and tilted my head this way, then then the person did what I wanted them to do. So I'm going to try that again because mm-hmm. maybe that's maybe that's the right answer. I don't, it, made, it made a lot of sense to me sort of, I don't know what you call it, anthropologically or something, that, mm-hmm. that this, is, this is why we do these things over, even though they rarely work. Mm-hmm. And I remembered my other um, passive-aggressive manipulation example. I was thinking about this on the way in. And, and I hope you don't mind me using you as an example here, Kelly. But Sure. Um, <laughs> I don't even know what it is. <laughs> oh, well, you know, we were having this discussion about sharing in meetings and how you don't like to share in meetings. Uh, you yes. remember that, right? Yes. And at one point I was listening to a podcast and this guy said something that I thought was, you know, really right to the point about why it's important to share in meetings. And, and so I just kind of said, you know, you should listen to this section of this podcast here. <laughs> <laughs> and and I don't know whether you did or not, but I know what my intent was there. Okay, um, my intent was to force a solution, <laughs> and it hasn't worked yet, Spencer. And it hasn't worked yet. Yeah, you know, but I'll keep trying. How does it make you feel when you force solutions, yeah. Spencer? <laughs> well, actually, when I thought about that, or when I thought about you know, sort of what I was trying to do there, and I knew at the time what I was trying to do, but looking back at it and thinking about it as a sort of you know attempt to manipulate. Um, I felt a little dirty, mm-hmm. mm. you know, I felt like, oh, you know, I, not, that, not necessarily the person I want to be. I, I, one of the things that, that I really have been trying to practice more and more as a, as a, you know, since I came to the program is to be direct, mm-hmm. uh, to be straightforward about the things that I need and the things that I want, because so much of my old behavior was, with this sort of passive aggressive manipulation, this sort of, you know, I'll set up this situation and then this person will do the thing that I want them to do because mm-hmm. it will be obvious in the situation. Um, and and it, it it sort of reminds me of the the Alanons who maybe bring home a big book and put it on the bedside table in hopes that <laughs> you know their alcoholic or addict will pick it up and say, oh, this is what I've been missing all my life. <laughs> this looks like fantastic reading. I'm going to get in right into this. Yeah. Um, you know, I never did that. <laughs> but I'm sure I've done similar things. I know I've done similar things. <laughs> oh, man. I um, I really appreciate what you just uh, said about, about um, feeling dirty, forcing solutions. I think now that I've been in the program a bit, I, I'm a lot more self-aware I can't, I can't blindly just be like, oh, this is for the best for everyone. This is why I'm doing this. I mean, if I'm not there to call myself out, <laughs> there are plenty of people around me to just be like, Swaitha, really, really, 
you know you're going to put that on your fourth step, right? <laughs> and then you're going to have to explain it to your sponsor. <laughs> do you really want to go through all that? <laughs> and actually, that's something that comes up in my mind before I do things nowadays. I'm like, well, I'm going to I'm going to put this on my daily inventory, and then I'm going to tell my sponsor about it. Other people, do I really want to fess up to being <laughs> that kind of person? <laughs> do I really want to be that kind of person? And no, no, I I don't think I do. And sorry, were you, were you going to say something, Spencer? No, I just wondered if if which was more important to you, the fessing up or the being? I'm working on it. Progress, not perfection. <laughs> Both, though. I mean, I think even if I, and the thing is, like, if I, at one point, I, I early on when I was first doing my 10th step, I, I think I, I can't remember what it was I did, but I did something that I wasn't comfortable with. I think I lied to someone and I was like, I'm just not going to put it on my 10th step because I don't want my sponsor to know. <laughs> and then I walked around two days and I'm putting it on my 10th step and it just grew in my head. And I was like, crap, I've got to put it on my 10th step. I've got to confess this to somebody else because otherwise I'm not going to hold myself accountable for it. And then I begrudgingly, I wasn't even, I didn't even know who I was angry at. I was just like, this is bullshit. I don't, <laughs> so I so you were, you were trying to force a solution and not having to fess up. Uh, right? Exactly. Exactly. But then, um, I think coming into the program, I, um, I listened to that inner voice, uh, the Jiminy cricket in my head, um, which I like to call my higher power sometimes. And it's not, it used to be, um, that voice used to be the voice of, you know, boyfriends or friends or parents and or sister or uh, extended family, pretty much everybody. And there was this tiny little voice that was like, or you could just be calm and patient and all that. And I would just be like, no, that voice is stupid. <laughs> that voice isn't giving me a solution. And um, it turns out that voice was my higher power. That voice was my own conscience and what I want from myself. And I think Al-Anon really helped me get more in touch with that voice. And once I was more in touch with it, I was more comfortable with myself. And actually, Spencer, wait, another thing you were talking about, about how because we think it works once, that control thing, I remembered when I went to an open talk, actually several open talks, that I've, I've heard some alcoholics say, you know, it was never as good as the first time. The first time I drank or one of the first times I drank, it was never as good as that. And I spent the rest of my drinking phase or drinking period um trying to revisit that feeling and that's definitely how it feels for me with control Mm -hmm. um unlike you and kelly though i am so all about confrontation (laughs) 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 i'm like there's something broken well let me tell you how to fix this and um here's how many times have we talked you down (laughs) (laughs) i i don't think we have time to count (laughs) i don't think we'll ever have time to count but thank you for being there to talk me down and my loved ones thank you also (laughs) but here's the thing though is that when i um get into an argument my initial response is, I'm going to sit here first. I will take pause and I will think about every logical counter argument and every irrational counter argument that this person can provide me and already in my head have a response to that. Wow. And I like play out the argument in my head so that I will win. I have to win. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'll walk into the conversation like, listen, this is what's up. And then I will, you know. And does the conversation go in the direction you expect it to? No, because. <laughs> Never. <laughs> it never works is the point. But um but yeah, it doesn't I don't think I think passive aggressiveness or confrontation or however we do it, um I've tried passive aggressiveness. I don't have the patience. <laughs> Pretty quickly after I'm like, it's not working, it's not working. I'll just tell him. He just doesn't get it. I'll just tell him. Um 
And uh, yeah, but it never, it doesn't really work. It might work once in a while just out of sheer frustration, but but it comes back. It's not like a permanent solution I've noticed for me. Even when I force solutions and a loved one accepts it just because they've given up, they just, they just do the same thing again later. They might not do it at that moment. I think that's that's something I do differently now that I'm in the program is not, I, I was so focused on a solution in the moment that it was okay, actually. I mean, it was enough to keep me going for that, that next moment. And I spent the rest of the time trying to get back to that one part, that one feeling of control. But um, it doesn't, it's not a longer term solution. And coming into Al-Anon and focusing on my part in it and focusing on who I am and doing that daily inventory and holding myself accountable is a longer term solution. And I'm not always trying to force solutions. I mean, I definitely think about it a lot <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I eye it warily and then I pick up the phone and, and usually get talked down from a, a uh, two-hour discussion with myself on how this person could counter contradict me or have counter-arguments. It saves a lot of time calling <laughs> someone on the phone, by the way. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> I was having a conversation with somebody the other day about where they were torn on a decision, and they were kind of giving me like, okay, if, if I go this way, this is what happens. And if I go this way, this is what happens. <laughs> And so we talked about this idea that the more complicated the solution is, the more likely it is that you are asserting your will and trying to force a solution. Mm. And I found it really interesting because it was like they had these two choices and, of course, black and white thinking. But they, <laughs> yes. they had the one choice and it was like, okay, if I make this decision, it was just like this happens. like. <laughs> instantaneously and it, it was just brief and then the other explanation was like 20 minutes of well but, but what if this and then this <laughs> thing happened it was just like really complicated and they really had to maneuver and control the placement of all these happenings and it just seemed like whoa that's um and i don't remember where that phrase comes from but um it, it definitely stuck with me and it's something that kind of pops into my head when i feel that um, squirrel cage or hamster wheel going when I'm, when I'm feeling. And I had some notes here, um, under, under what circumstances I try to force solutions. And I just had a list of feelings, fear, pain, desperation, and lack of trust. Mm -hmm. And that's, those are the feelings that set that squirrel cage going or the hamster wheel going. And then, then I start devising these <laughs> master plans, a la Suetha style, with all these, you know, complex variations of how, you know, if this, if X, then Y, and if Z, then A, you know, and I have all this planned out. And I've started to realize that when my brain goes to that place, um, it's really a clear indication that I am asserting my will and trying to force a solution. And Spencer, I wanted to, I wanted to Gonna come back at me, huh? I wanted to counter argue, um, with an interesting perspective on the, um, fear of speaking in meetings <laughs> topic. So obviously this is an issue that I'm struggling with because I'm, t I'm talking to people about it. And when I'm in a meeting, the process that my brain goes through is really fascinating to me because they will read the opening and, you know, I'm trying to, I'm trying to listen and I'm trying to think, okay, how does this apply to my life? What does this mean? What's the, you know, I'm trying to channel like people that I know who have really great shares, like what angle would they take with this? And where would this 
go for them? And how would Joanna see this? Or how would what would Anne's comment be about this? <laughs> and and then I start to go through that panic phase of like, okay, I don't want to be the first one to go. So I'm going to let somebody else go. And then I'm just going to think about what I want to say. And then I listen to a couple people go. And then I start looking at the clock and I'm like, well, I don't want to be the last one to speak. I hate being the last one to speak. <laughs> so now I really have to, I have to like come up with something now. Like now's the time you got to go. You got to go. Like, what are you going to say? And then it doesn't happen. And that's, that's me trying to force a solution. Like I'm feeling so pressured to share that I'm trying to force this solution and I can't even come up with anything. And the stuff that I'm coming up with is like total bullshit and it doesn't make any sense. And so then I just don't share. Can I just say, you look incredibly calm through the whole meeting for all of that going on through your head. It's all about the facades. <laughs> Everything looks good on the outside. <laughs> So anyway, the solution that I have come to is that until I can feel at peace with not sharing, I can't share. Because if I'm sharing under those conditions, it's going to be totally ridiculous. And it's not helping me. And it's probably not going to help anybody else anyway. So yeah. And I also thought it was interesting that you brought up the 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 um, comparison of gambling, of you know, that chase, because I feel like in the program, a lot of times we talk about the phrase, uh, the dance with, um, in the alcoholic relationship where, you know, someone behaves in a way that we don't, um, that we don't want or that was unexpected. And so, and I wish that my, my, my first sponsor always used to use these hand gestures. And of course you can't see hand gestures on the podcast, but, um, you know, they're, they're running in one direction and we're trying to get this desired result. So we follow them, we're running after them Mm -hmm. and then we get the result and it's like, Oh, that was boring. I don't like that. So we turn around and run in the other direction and then they follow us. And it's just kind of this (laughs) back and forth, this, this dance that we do. And so I, that popped into my head when you were talking about the idea of gambling is that we, you know, with every interaction, we're gambling on the outcome of, is it going to be what we anticipated? No, then how do I feel about that? And do I want to try a different outcome? And it, it really is this sort of twisted, manipulative dance that sometimes is really easy to fall into. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had a couple of thoughts. Yeah. But first off, well, when you were talking about, you know, the alcoholic um, chasing that first, mm. that first, that high from that first drink, I recently went to see... Uh, the play Cat on a Hot Tin Roof. I don't know if you've seen that, Tennessee Williams, and the the main uh, the male lead in the play is an alcoholic, and he talks about the click. He has to drink till he gets the click, and it's taking more and more and more mm-hmm. drinking to get to the click. Right, and it was actually a little uncomfortable for me. It, it triggered some feelings watching this. I've got to drink more and more and more till I finally get to that point of comfort till I get to that, that, you know, where, where it turns off the pain of the outside world. So I, I just, I, I, I flashed back to that hmm. and, and I wonder, do we, do we do this in relationships? Is this one of the reasons we try to force solutions because we want to get to the, we want to get to whatever the, the equivalent is, the click in the relationship. I don't know. Something to think about. Um, I realized that for me, another place where 
I sort of do this unconscious forcing, not unconscious, but hidden forcing, uh, mental. It's not really about changing the outside world, but uh, is, well, for me, it comes up a lot around financial issues. Um, you know, I have this, this fear of financial insecurity, which leads me to do things like not look at the bank balance because it might be lower than I want it to be. Hmm. Uh, and there's a, there's a, a sort of a child's magical thinking or an ostrich head in the sand approach there. You know, if I don't look at it, it's going to be okay. It will be what I want it to be. And if I look at it, then I'll know it's not. But as long as I'm not looking at it, then I can, I can pretend that it's okay. Until, you know, reality comes and whacks me in the face again. <laughs> <laughs> Darn it. That reality, man, I tell you. Abusive. It's... To me, now thinking about it, you know, that is, that is kind of trying to force a solution, trying to force reality to be the way I want it to be by ignoring it. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit backwards, but I don't know, it worked for me. Mm-hmm. Through, through denial, you mean, just by denying it? By denying it. it, by denying it. And, you know, obviously I've, I've done that with a lot of things in my life. I, I denied my loved one's alcoholism for a long time. Just uh, saying this is not reality. Reality is that I don't have these issues or... Yeah. What have you? Yeah, I don't want this to be true, therefore it's not. Uh, mm. I could see that. <laughs> <laughs> I've done that. <laughs> and, 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 and that can work for a long time, but eventually it stops working. And when it stops working, it's usually pretty painful yeah, because yeah. you're not ready. At least I'm not ready. And uh, I was going, oh, I wanted to uh, circle back to this uncertainty and wanting to just do something because I'm not comfortable not knowing what to do. Mm-hmm. And when I came into the program, I was really uh, in a in a situation that felt unsupportable. It felt like I could not continue to live in in that situation. Um, and you know, the black and white thinking you were talking about, Kelly. Um, I felt like there were two. There were two only two possibilities, or only two possible outcomes, neither of which uh, I wanted. Uh, one of them was for the uh, relationship I had with my loved one to continue as it was, which was crazy, uh, chaotic, uh, unmanageable, or to uh, to end it. And I didn't want to do that either. You know, somebody that, that I love very much, and I, I just couldn't see ending it, but I couldn't see continuing it. And I thought those were the only possibilities. Mm-hmm continue as it is now, or end it. Mm-hmm. And so I came into Elanon with this huge dilemma, this huge uncertainty, and with this feeling that I had to do something. And it was only, I think, the fear of um, the outcome. I mean, you know, so it was sort of, there was a do something or don't do anything was kind of my choice. Right. And there was, and I only saw one possible thing to do and I didn't want to do it. And so I think it was only my fear of what would happen that had, it really kept me from doing it. And I came into Al-Anon and I started to hear the message of, if you don't know what the right answer is, maybe you should just wait. Maybe you should not decide. Maybe you should not take an action, you know, which we express is don't just do something, stand there. Mm-hmm. And that was a that was a new message for me. Mm-hmm. That was not something that I had ever 
consciously noticed before, never consciously heard that message. I mean, maybe I'd heard many people had said it. I don't know. You know, I, I've had this experience a lot where I don't hear something until I'm ready to hear it, whether somebody says it to me or not. And, and I guess that goes back to the whole argument thing, right? I mean, I can say, I can state my position as much as I want. And if the, if the other person in the, in the conversation mm-hmm. uh, argument is not ready to hear it, they're not going to hear it. <clears throat> right. Um, and I have to remember that because <laughs> I'm the same way. Yeah. And uh, so so I was told that I didn't have to make a decision, and, and that actually was a relief uh, because I feared the decision. And as as happens, as I continued to work the program, I did come to an answer which was neither of those. Um, you know, I found a way with the help of the program to continue the relationship in a way that was not tearing me apart. That was not, I mean, I, a lot of the chaos and all that was still there as the drinking continued, but with the support of the program, with the, the tools that I learned here, with the support of a higher power and, and the people in the program, I was able to live with it, to, to have that, you know, sort of calm in the storm that, that we speak of, what did Lynn say about serenity on Wednesday? I think what she was kind of saying was something along the lines of her serenity isn't dependent necessarily on her emotions or external things in mm-hmm. her life. And that she could feel all these things. She could feel sad. She could feel grief. She could feel anger. And, and that she could still be okay under that and not need to fix it. Any last thoughts? Um, yeah, there was a... Something I um, I was thinking of was that uh, I really related to that girl you were talking about or person you were talking about, Kelly, the one that had the two options and then had like a elaborate, comprehensive explanation. Um, I do that a lot. <laughs> and uh, I think what it is is, and I've learned this a lot in the program, uh, for no other reason than the fact that you and Spencer repeatedly tell me this, that there is no formula. But um, mm. I constantly apply formulas to people, which is, I mean, have you guys, I don't know if you guys have seen The Matrix yeah. Okay. Do you know that scene where he meets the architect and the guy has like 50 billion computer or TV screens in the back and it's it's like the main character and several different like all possible responses to the same situation. Okay. That's what, anyway, that's what that was, is that you, you see like 50 different, like not 50, you see hundreds and hundreds of TV screens and it's the main character responding to something in all these different ways. Like these are the possible outcomes. And I keep thinking of that whenever I, uh, when you were, or I thought of that when you were talking about this person, I was like, yep, yeah. <laughs> you just go through and think the highest probability is that this person will respond in this way, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> And so I have to address this situation in this way so that they won't blah, I don't know. It gets very... Decision tree? Yeah, yeah. decision tree. <laughs> and exactly. that tree is a huge tree. <laughs> um, but there was something that I heard uh, in a meeting once that helped me out with uh, with that. It was actually a newcomer. I think she'd been there like 10 meetings at Tops. And um, she said, there was this prayer she said um, that I'm going to butcher and I'm not going to say it more better than she said it. So um, <laughs> it was something along the lines of, of uh, God, please help me set aside what I know, uh, what I think I know about myself, about others, and about you, so that I may really know, uh, learn about myself, others, and you. Oh, yeah. And that was that was really good. 
that I walked through life thinking there is a formula and if I just apply the formula, everything will be okay and I need to fix everything. Everything needs to fit in the formula and it doesn't need to and it can be okay that I'm not happy with other people or I'm not happy in a, in a specific situation in the relationship and I can just be uncomfortable and that's okay. And that prayer helps me remember that I don't have to constantly, endlessly be walking around as a glowing ball of happiness. And that, according to Spencer's evolutionary theory that he just introduced, that wouldn't be good. <laughs> I just wouldn't be like, this is boring. Let's do something else. And I could see that. I could see me trying to create drama just for just for giggles. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to... Just for giggles. Sometimes a girl gets bored. Spencer, what are you going to do? There's nothing on TV. No one's up for hanging out. <laughs> Pick a fight. <laughs> Why not create drama where there is none? Right. <laughs> it's not like I could go to a meeting or something. Stir the pot. <laughs> Kelly? Um, final thoughts. I think for me, the best defense against forcing solutions is to use my pause button. That if I... If I go with my first gut instinct, I feel like I say this on every episode, but if I, if I go with my first gut instinct, the results usually are not pretty. I mean, I can't, um, uh, somebody in a meeting said the most profound thing to me the other day that their inside their head is like a bad neighborhood. It's not a safe place to be. So I have alone. to, uh, yeah, alone. Yes. So I either have to get out of the neighborhood or I have to bring some people with me to the neighborhood and help me navigate it. So, um, if I use the pause button, it allows me the opportunity to dig into my toolbox, whether it means getting on the phone and calling somebody, whether it's praying, meditating, uh, whatever it is to take that break and just look at the situation from a different perspective. And then, I can um, not just do something, stand there. Yeah. I don't think I have much to add. Um, I was going to use the uh, the bad neighborhood thing, so I got it there. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. No, because the inside of my head is not a safe place for me to be by myself. Uh, and that's, you know, I'm, I'm really glad I have uh, supports in the program and mm-hmm. I have my higher power that I can turn to uh, when I need to go in there. <laughs> oh, yeah. Hold my hand, please. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and, and you were talking about creating drama, and both of you were talking about creating drama. And I think um, I for have at times seen that as, as sort of part of m- my addiction to, um, you know, I have an addiction to drama mm-hmm. that, that or I at least did. And, and you know, that's part of, why I come to the program is so um, I don't find myself going out and creating some drama just so there'll be, you know, some excitement in my life. Like mm-hmm. you said, so I think, you know, sometimes a guy gets bored, huh? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and now I have, I, I can, you know, I can meditate. I can maybe engage in non-dramatic uh, relationship. After a short break, we will be back with our lives in recovery where we talk about the meetings we attend and what's happening in our lives. I wanted to close with, uh, quote from that same reading we opened with. It's a sort of a little prayer here. Guide me in all I do to remember that waiting is the answer to some of my prayers. Our musical break is Brown Bird singing Blood of Angels. And and I looked at the opening lyrics to this song. This was suggested by our friend Diana. Thank you, Diana. The opening lyrics are just seems like a perfect example trying to force a solution that's actually not forcible. I can't make my mood match the weather. I can't make the weather do what I want. 
So I've resigned myself to pry that big old sun out of the sky, and I will live my days in darkness till I die. I can't make my mood match the weather. I can't make the weather do what I want. So I resign myself to pry that big old sun out of the sky, and I will live my days in darkness till I die. I tried to be good, I was a failure So I took to taking all the good men down It wasn't hard to do, I just huffed and puffed and blew Until all the two sheep scattered on the ground You could be right, they might come for me at night An angry mob of torches right outside my door For all my spite, I might never win the fight But I will rage against the light of angels from a bottle just to see if I could call the lightning down it hasn't struck me yet and I would rage my soul to bed that there ain't no one throwing lightning anyhow too many tries attempting fate to call it over and you get to thinking fate's got different plans like maybe I'm not born to die but to bring darkness to the sky pull that goddamn sun down any way I can you could be Come for me at night An angry mob of torches Right outside my door For all my spite I might never win the fight But I will rage against the light Forevermore section of the podcast, we talk about our lives in recovery, what's happening in our meetings and our lives this week. Hey, Kelly. Hey. Uh, so this week I was out of town. <laughs> That's the way to just breathe the sigh of relief that she didn't have to go first. So this week I went to, I was out of town for a little bit. I did go to two meetings. I went to my two regular, um, two home groups, I guess, uh, Wednesday night which had a lead, it was, it was almost like a first step lead on um, sort of feeling, helping feel comfortable reaching out to others, I guess, for help uh, when things get unmanageable. And then I went to Friday meeting, which was about the fourth tradition. And I actually complained to Spencer before the meeting I've been out of town so much lately, and conveniently, the only meetings that I've made for like the last five months were the week that we do the tradition. Like, I didn't make it to any of the cushy daily reader meetings. <laughs> I always end up at the tradition meetings. So obviously, my higher power has some sort of message that they're trying to get through there, but both of them were great. And then I also listened to some uh, podcasts while I was driving. I listened to the Recovered podcast, which is our sister podcast. 
um, kind of has more of an AA focus. And I listened to an episode that they did about the seven deadly sins. And it was really interesting. Um, I think Spencer was on that one too. And that was a fun one. Yeah, it was, it was really cool perspective. I didn't even know that Bill touched on it in the, in the big book. And it's in the 12 and 12. Actually. Oh, it's in the 12 and 12. Yeah. Okay. So that was a really good episode if you guys are looking for something else to listen to. And then I also listened to an episode of The Recovery Show. So Spencer will make fun of me for this too, but I don't listen to any episodes that I'm on. I only listen to the episodes when there are other guest hosts filling in for me. So I listened to the episode on gratitude uh, with Kate and Patrick and Swetha and Spencer, and it was really amazing. It was really uh, a lot of profound discussion and um, lots of interesting different perspectives and dynamics between the hosts. So I was really glad that I got to listen to that too. So how do you keep your recovery healthy when you're traveling, Kelly? Well, we've kind of talked about this before. I mean, it it kind of depends for me on the length of time that I'm gone. If I'm gone for a week plus, I definitely try to fit a meeting in somewhere if possible. Um, a lot of times my travel doesn't necessarily facilitate that if I'm working a trade show or an event or something that goes until seven or eight in the evening and starts at, you know, eight in the morning. It doesn't leave a lot of spare time. To... You just have time to sleep, basically. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. So um, I do uh, download both podcasts and that is helpful. Um, I usually try to schedule phone calls with Sponsees. Uh, I make sure that they call me when I'm on the road because I need to hear from somebody who knows me enough to hold me accountable. And um, it's good to hear what's going on with other people too because it helps me get out of my head. And what else do I do? Prayer and meditation for yeah. sure. I bring my books. I don't always crack them open, but you know maybe that osmosis thing will work one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I ask because I'm sure that we have listeners who. Uh, find themselves in a similar situation and, and some words of experience from uh, somebody else who's been there can always be helpful, I think. Yeah, the, the thing that I found the hardest was going to meetings in strange places because you get so used to the comfort of walking into the rooms in your hometown where you know everybody and they know you. And if you don't show up for a while, they either call you or when they do, when you do show up, they make mention of noticing that you were gone. And so when you're walking into a strange room in a city that you don't normally go to, um, there's a lot of fear there. I mean, it kind of takes me back to that place of walking into my first few meetings, mm. you know, everyone seems to know each other and there's like these little clicks of people who are catching up with each other and you're just kind of sitting there in the chair by yourself and, um, but at the same time, you know, you get that feeling of being home. And there is something about, you know, just the, it doesn't matter the location, but the room always feels the same. You know, you see the familiar literature, um, you see, you see something in people or, or feel something, I guess I do, I shouldn't clarify you, but I feel something in people that even if I don't know them, even if they're total strangers, it still feels like I'm in the right place. And it feels like there there is a level of comfort there. And then usually by the end of the meeting, after everybody's shared, it definitely feels like home. You know, I can I can relate to what everybody is saying and, and I definitely get that bit of relief that I'm looking for. So it's so scary, but it's worth it. It is. And and I when I was newer in my program, and I think my job had me traveling more than it does now. Um, 
I would really try hard to uh, to fit a meeting in wherever I was. Um, and and it you know yeah you have that feeling that I'm uh, there's a certain feeling of being home. There's a certain feeling of of familiarity and comfort. Uh, you know as soon as the as soon as they start reading the opening in particular, but it, sometimes even before that that. Uh, and you know there were times when I sure as heck needed it. I remember trying to go to a meeting once, and I got there, and the meeting had been rescheduled or canceled or something. It wasn't where the when the when the the schedule online said it was, and that was when I was still believing that the online schedules were always up to date. <laughs> um, and I had taken a cab to get to it, and so oh. I had to call a cab to come get me. And while I was waiting for the cab, I called a friend and said, "You know, I was going to a meeting, and I couldn't get there, and I need to talk to somebody." And so. Um, you know, we had a little two-person meeting over the phone, uh, nice. which was very good. I needed it. I think it's kind of cool, too, because uh, not all meetings are the same. A lot of yeah. people use different formats or different yeah. readings, and so I always take something away from it that is something that I can bring home to my home groups, too, if we're looking to change things up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's good. So, Swetha, how, how was your week? Really, really, really busy. <laughs> um, <clears throat> at work, we had have, we have this uh, deadline um, this past Friday. And, uh, so I ended up staying at work pretty, really late most of the week. Um, so I didn't get to the, my normal meetings. Uh, I did manage to make Wednesday and I really, I came in late for that too, because I was <laughs> late at work, but I came in just at the part where the person that was leading said, and that's why we should call people on the phone list. The phone list is a good thing to do. And I was like, oh, crap, I should have done that this week. <laughs> well played higher power. <laughs> that was pretty open and direct. <laughs> Um, but, uh, I really, yeah, it was a really good meeting. I liked everyone's shares. Um, and it did remind me that even when I was missing meetings, uh, kind of like you were saying, Spencer, that it, and, and Kelly, that having people that know you well enough that they can hold you accountable and have many meetings with you, essentially, it's, it's really good. It's just getting out of your own head. And it's interesting, actually, I met with someone this week from the program and I was I was hearing her talk about all the stuff that she was um, going through and dealing with or trying to address with the program. And it was a lot of the stuff was stuff I'm dealing with or going through and trying to address with the help of the program. And when I was talking to her, I was like, oh, yeah, like the program has slogans for this and steps for this. And my sponsor said, blah, 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 and, you know, all this stuff. And uh, then I went home to all of those same things, and I was like, oh, my God, what do I do? I don't know. <laughs> this is so hard. <laughs> but in the past, it used to be that um, before the program, I would like, I would think, I have the solutions for everybody else, and why can't I just fix my own life? And now I know it's just I, I don't want to. <laughs> Sometimes I'm like, I want to indulge myself and, and feel crappy or what have you and stir the pot, as you were saying, Kelly, or you know, it was Tuesday evening and nothing was good on TV. So, <laughs> you know, but, uh, but it's, yeah, that at that moment I was able to pick up the phone and call someone. Um, just from, from, I remembered it from, uh, listening to this person speak on Wednesday. I wasn't able to make it to my Friday meeting because my family had just come into town, which has been an exercise in learning not to force solutions in itself. Um, and it's only Sunday. Always, yeah, family always brings out the best, the best in us. Uh, yeah. yeah. I have another week for this, guys. So, uh, 
I don't know if I should have told you that because I feel like you're going to warily eye your phone when you see my name <laughs> oh, on the caller ID. Swaith is calling. Mm. <laughs> I'm really busy right now. <laughs> you're going to need next week's podcast, Swaith. I am. I am. Um, I'm probably going to be forcing some uh, meetings into my schedule somehow. That solution I'm willing to force. Um, <laughs> I mean, and I'll need it too. I mean, and it's interesting the things that even though, I mean, I haven't been in the program very long, I think just just about, I mean, really getting close to a year, I think. And so when, I, when I'm not around fam- people that aren't in recovery, most of my life is surrounded by people who are in recovery. So when I'm around people that are not in recovery, it's just, it's like, I, I don't know, I feel really spoiled when I'm... Uh, when I come back, I, when I go, when I come back to Ann Arbor and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is, this is great. People understand when I want to set boundaries and people are like, oh, go you. That's healthy. That's awesome. <laughs> and then I'll go home and my parents are like, you're being an asshole. Why, <laughs> why are you doing these things? Don't you love us anymore? And, uh, and I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> please help. <laughs> God help me. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's been really helpful to just have that moment to call people or, when I don't have time for a meeting or I don't have the privacy to call someone in the program, it's also really nice to have that literature and just crack it open, do some step work, um, read over old steps that would be relevant. Or even in the lucky chance that someone calls me and they're, they're wanting just an Allen on sanity check to get out of my own head. And that's really, that was really good this week for me. Yeah, if you guys see a desperate, crazed woman in your meetings next week. Don't be worried. It's just me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's it for my week. All right. Wednesday night, appreciated the reminder to call people. Mm. You know, and thinking about very much it's the people in the program that help to keep me sane. Mm -hmm. And earlier when I was really still suffering, um, it was the people in the program who gave me hope, who gave me a touch point, who gave me things I could try in my own life and who accompany me into that dangerous neighborhood of my, of my mind. Hmm. You know, Friday night meeting, yeah, we talked about tradition four, which is the one about uh, group autonomy. And, um, the, the, you know, the first person who shared said, you know, people always manage to like relate these traditions to their own life somehow. <laughs> I don't see how, how to do that. So, you know, me being the long timer in the program that I am, I took up that, uh, that challenge, yeah, I keep coming back. <laughs> and uh, but I had the help of the literature. Um, mm-hmm. The the uh, Paths to Recovery book had some questions that really point a way to apply it in in our own lives about taking responsibility for what we say and do, allowing other people to have the responsibility for what they say and do, and and accepting those consequences on both sides. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think that. A lot of people um, sort of followed up on that, and uh, it was I, it was a good meeting and, and, and a lot of good sharing happening there. Mm-hmm. And I was reminded uh, again this week about the power of the disease that uh, took a life in the in the local community. Uh, somebody who I don't know exactly, you know, what happened, but died of an overdose about a week ago. And uh, last night I was looking at a video that a friend of hers had put together just remembering her as she was in sobriety and it just it really brought that home to me in a much more personal way and this was not somebody that I really knew you know it's one thing to hear 
yeah, somebody, somebody in the community died. And it's another thing to, you know, see this person and to see some video of them just having a good time with their friends. And then it, it, I don't know, brought it home to me much more powerfully than, than anything else had. It's an evil, nasty disease. And, you know, I'm glad that there is recovery for people and that, uh, that many of my friends have, have found it and my loved ones have found it. But, you know, it's always there. And, and it's, sometimes it's terrifying. But if I, if I face it, I'm much, more, much less likely to try to force a solution on somebody, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so with Swetha being busy, she, uh, she asked me to take over putting meditations on the website, and, uh, and that's been good. It, it helps me in my program to think about, to think coherently and, and actually write down those things. So that was my week. And uh, next week on the podcast, we're going to talk about the slogan, Easy Does It. And, you know, that's sort of a, maybe part of the solution to forcing solutions. Um, one, of the, one of the tools that we can use when we feel like we need to force a solution is we can remember that, that Easy Does It. And so um, we'll, we'll talk about that next week. And we welcome your thoughts. You can join the conversation. Please leave us a voicemail or send us an email with your experience or questions about the slogan, Easy Does It. And Kelly, how can people send us feedback? You can call or leave us a voicemail at 734-707-8795. Just put the podcast on pause and join the conversation at 734-707-8795. And if you prefer not to use your voice, much like myself, (laughs) you can send email to feedback at therecoveryshow.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I just want to clarify that statement by saying that part, an, another part of the reason that I don't often share is I really don't like the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so I just want to clarify to the listeners that I don't think any of us hosts are doing this podcast just to hear ourselves talk. No. Part of the purpose is, is um, it's really so, so meaningful when you guys write us and let us know what you like. Let us know what you don't like. Mm-hmm. Just let us know how you're doing. Um, it means so much to know that mm-hmm. there are real people out there listening and that um, that we are able to be of service to you guys. So mm-hmm. please feel free to share your experience, strength, and hope or your questions about today's topic of forcing solutions or next, week topic, next week's topic of the slogan, Easy Does It. If you have a topic you want us to talk about, please let us know. Um, Swetha, where can listeners find out more about The Recovery Show? They can find out more at our website, therecoveryshow.com. It has all the information about the show, including the notes for each episode, a blog with daily meditations, links to music we play, and a page to which we periodically post recordings of Al-Anon Open Talk speakers. We've also got a few links to other recovery podcasts and websites that we like. Another way to contribute to the content of the podcast and the website is to leave comments on the show notes or on the blog. Just hop on over to therecoveryshow.com and enter the conversation there. Hey, and we did get some uh, a couple of voicemails this, uh, this week, um, and uh, so let's uh, listen to one of them. Hey guys, um, this is Joseph. I'm the C.S. Lewis guy from like a week or two ago. Um, I just wanted to say I'm grateful for the gratitude portion you guys had. Um, it really kind of opened up my eyes to uh, um, a couple different things um, for me, one of which being um, the idea that um, good and evil are equally good, um, like equally valid. Like I appreciated what Patrick was saying. I identified 
because I enjoyed um, C.S. Lewis wrote um, something called the Screw Tape Letters, where a devil is t- um, instructing another devil how to tempt another person, and it kind of speaks to the disease. I think he he says like, suggest to this young man that every bad thing he sees, every um, time he sees blood splattered on a wall because the guy's in a war, every time he sees suffering children, every time he sees pain. Suggest to him that that's what real life is, and suggest to him that that's what you know is, is authentic. And in reality, and then he says, and every time he sees something good, tell him that that's just mere sentiment. You know, oh, you didn't have a spiritual experience; you just, you know, heard music in a lighted room. You know, that's all that was. And um, just kind of discrediting it. And what I think is like, for me, gratitude is when I can acknowledge that something good has happened and be grateful for it. It's like validating the good in my life. And I don't do that. I'm, I'm a cynic. I can be very cynical when I'm not in my program. I'm very cynical, intellectual, and I'll think, well, that good thing, it wasn't, I'm not going to be grateful for that. I'll cautiously try to be grateful. I'll think, oh, well, I can't think that's good because then I'll just be deluding myself into some fake thing. When in reality, I should have some humility and accept reality for what it is, and maybe I'm not such a... a jerk after all, and um, I've been allowing myself to see good people in my life, you know, maybe people actually do kind of like me, maybe not everyone's faking it, maybe there's good things that can happen, and it just makes me happier, so um, I appreciate that, it helps my program out a lot, and uh, yeah, keep doing what you're doing, guys, I appreciate your consistency, it is something I look forward to every week, and it's useful for my recovery, so keep it up if you can, thanks. And thank you, Joseph. And uh, we we will endeavor to keep it up. Um, we will endeavor to be consistent. I've got some travel coming up, and we've worked uh, pretty hard on figuring out how we're going to keep our consistent schedule around my travel. Um, since I'm the the guy who's been pretty much engineering the show, um, I don't. You guys have anything to say to Joseph? I just appreciate his thoughts. Trying, to, I took some notes on um, Joseph's comments and trying to figure out how maybe we could work that into some potential future topics about um, maybe facing reality or reality mm. versus disillusionment. So I'm going to mull that over for a little while and hopefully we can incorporate it soon. Thank you so much. Cool. And we got a second voicemail also from Joseph with uh, talking about topic suggestions. Hey guys, um, this is Joseph again. Um, in regards to questions um, about certain topics or topic suggestions, um, I'm not really sure what this would fall under even, but um, just the idea of um, when uh, you know we talk about how we're powerless over our alcoholic or other people's drinking or our own drinking or whatever it is, um, I wonder what is it like, um, sometimes I get the mistaken idea like, oh, that means I can't control anything about my life. Like, okay, that means now I can go like overeat or now I can just like binge on entertainment or whatever or like there's other avenues like, well, what do I have control over then? You know, like if I'm powerless, then where does my responsibility lie? Because I can identify with people that say, oh, like I feel immature like, I feel like I'm a 12-year-old in maturity level, and I'm not taking control of a lot of my life, you know, or I'm trying to control other people and projecting myself onto them, and I'm just wondering, like, what do I control, you know? Like, do I need to take more personal responsibility? Is that too much pressure? Do I need more discipline? Do I need more, like, what is it? 
you know, and I don't know if this falls under detachment or letting go. Maybe we already recovered this. Maybe I need to just look into something else. But um, just a thought I was having, and um, I'll be discussing it in my own meetings. But um, anyway, thanks again, guys. Um, I will be listening in. You know, that always is a hard question um, about powerlessness and what does it really mean. Um, we did talk about powerlessness in our second episode, which was one of our pilots, so I think we will come back to that topic at some point now that we have a better idea of what we're actually doing here. <laughs> um, we talked about letting go. Um, that was episode seven. We talked about detachment. I think that was um, uh, that was episode 12, right? Um, so we, we've we've touched on some of those, and if you haven't listened to those episodes, you might want to go back. And uh, I think we will we we will come back to powerlessness. Maybe we'll do a step one, which kind of touches on powerlessness in a very central way. Hmm. We haven't done step one yet, so that would be another way to come back to that one. Thanks, Joseph. And uh, we had um, an email. This is an email from anonymous. It says, "Thanks for your podcast. I listened to one recently where Melody Beatty was mentioned. A friend of mine gave me a copy of one of her books." And the podcast mentioned another great author. I forget the author's name. I bought a book of hers called Help Thanks Wow or something like that. Okay, thanks again. Help Thanks Wow is by Anne Lamott. Um, yes. All right. Well, you know, we've made some changes on the website this uh, this week. One thing that we did was added a page with links to books about recovery-related topics. Um, if you buy books from Amazon through these links, we get a small commission to help keep the podcast going. And it doesn't cost you any more than Amazon's usual price. So if you if you used to ordering books from Amazon, if it's something you do, you know consider doing it through our website and help support the podcast. We also added a, a PayPal donation basket button to the website to help cover our expenses, which are currently running about thirty dollars a month plus whatever you know paying off the equipment eventually. A big thank you to this episode's sponsors, Kelly and Mark, who used the donation basket button to help support the recovery show. Help keep us on the air. Thank you. We're going to close the show. It's uh, a song I, I really like, probably because I relate to it so much, uh, called Chasing Pavements by Adele. And uh, part of the chorus is, should I give up or should I just keep ch chasing pavements, even if it leads no nowhere? That's yeah, spot on for forcing solutions for me. <laughs> so uh, here's Chasing Pavements. I've made up my mind. Don't need to think it over. If I'm wrong, I am right. Don't need to look no further, this ain't lost, I know, this is love, if I tell the
Thank you for listening, and please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time. Keep chasing pavements even if it leads nowhere